Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we've got Tony Roach back on the show. Tony's a longtime fishing guide in Minnesota, and he hosts a new outdoor television show, Dialed in Angling. Well, it's a, it's a fishing show, and uh, yeah, we're going to hear all about that. It's a new, uh, kind of a new collaboration for Tony to be hosting that television show. I think it's so great, uh, the opportunity to see Tony and, and to... Uh, just tap into Tony and his wisdom as long all of his experience is just endless and and that's a big part of why I like having him on the on this podcast you know this is I, I don't know the third fourth maybe fifth time that we've had Tony on the show and every time he just drops so much knowledge and this one is no different we're gonna get you know some of this backstory uh behind the scenes on this new television show but we're gonna dive into some really cool fishing topics uh as it relates to the conditions this year we've got some late ice obviously and uh uh, you know, just a just a totally different year, but you know what? Tony's got some great perspective and some great stories uh, to to just kind of help us attack the rest of this year. And uh, yeah, just fun, entertaining stories and a ton to learn. And uh, let's do it here. We got Tony Roach. We're talking all things ice fishing. Let's do it. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about? How great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much. The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov jobs. Appreciate you uh, having time for this. You're obviously you've always been a busy guy. You're just like hard working all the time. Um, but I definitely want to get updated on, um, you know, your your busy factor has ratcheted up a little bit for this ice season because you got a new endeavor going on. Um, you're hosting dialed in angling. I need to right away here. I just want to start with that and get it out of the way. Update us on uh, this particular ice season and the whole dialed in angling story, man. Get us get us up to speed on that for you. Yeah. So this summer, um, you know, kind of collaborated with you know the folks at Ron Share Productions and yeah, this idea and this, you know, kind of new adventure to, you know, kind of carry on some, some ice fishing information, if you will, uh, to create content that's, you know, up to date, but also kind of bring in some other elements of, uh, you know, fishing reports from other anglers, kind of just combining a few different formats of, uh, you know, shows that were currently out there, but kind of making it our own and dialed in angling. We just, you know, coming up with the name or like, you know, for me, um, I'm all about patterning fish all season long, summer, fall, winter, spring. And uh, I'm always trying to get dialed in, right? You're, every time I chase a new species or I'm doing some sort of different style of fishing or if it's getting into into the winter bite from the transitioning from fall you know, you're trying to get dialed in so we just kept on that that rain that name just kept on coming up and uh yeah the whole format of our show is you know we film 
and we try to air within a seven to 10 day period. So everything's really current, um, up-to-date information. Uh, we're going all over the ice belt, filming different locations. Some of them could be like a destination type of piece. Others could be real technical as far as, uh, you know, um, fish locations, or it could be uh, certain technique oriented, you know, all of that stuff, stuff that you guys have been filming for years with, Jason Mitchell outdoors. You know, I've known Jason for a long time. Jason was actually one of the first ones to reach out and congratulate me and said, Hey, if you need any uh, help as far as guidance, call me anytime. And uh, I thought that was super cool on Jason's part to do that. Um, but yeah, that you couple that with uh, my current guide schedule. Cause you know, when we decided to do this and when I agreed to do this, I already had a full guiding schedule on the books. And so that just added to it, but it's been really fun. Even though it's been a really challenging ice year, it's been super fun to go experience different places or places I haven't been in a while. Um, and just to go fish different waters and actually get to fish rather than focus on finding fish and then holding off until I go get my customers and then bringing them out there. It's just a different dynamic. And so I get to actually go back to some of my roots of actually fishing and having fun fishing and just enjoying it versus just always focused on finding fish. Yeah, man. And I think it might be people that maybe just don't realize that you've traveled to fish a lot in your career. It's probably the side, the, the side of you uh, fishing wise that people don't see very much at all. And now you're, you're, on this dialed at angling, it, it sort of shows that side of you that you travel to fish. That's not intimidating. That's not a change for you whatsoever. You understand how to go to new places and break down water. But I think it's really cool that we're highlighting you specifically on this show or the, the portions of this show that you're hosting. I think that that's really, really great that, you know, the industry gets to see you specifically in that. Um, how would you maybe break that down? Um, you know, because that is kind of a new thing. You're on camera and it's not showing you guiding like so many uh, people that know you, you know, that's what you do. It's the other side. It's, it's traveling to fish. Tell me a little bit about that um, and maybe, you know, how that really excites you with this new project. Well, people get to see the backstory, um, you know, uh, for me, finding fish is my job, right? Uh, when customers show up, they don't get to see the whole backside of, you know, myself, Nick, Pete, all my guys out drilling holes, looking for fish or in open water, you know, us guys always talking like, Hey, we're finding this here. We're doing this. We're pitching baits here. Hey, they, these fish are really shallow. You know, that whole backstory of it. I'm able to kind of tell that story a little bit um, in front of the camera and then, you know, kind of peel back the curtain, if you will, um, you know, how I go about finding fish or even if it's a destination piece, like I'm going up to meet with somebody, it's kind of the backstory of how they operate and how they go about um, finding fish in their body of water. But yeah, for me, I think I, what gets me out of bed in the morning is, finding and patterning fish. That's what keeps me awake at night. Uh, if I have a bad day guiding, or let's say we have a bad stretch where it's terrible temperatures and the fish aren't cooperating, I always feel that I can get them to bite. And so whether it's, you know, keying in on certain bite windows or changing what we're doing, uh, changing species if we have to. I always think that, you know, I can get customers on a bite and we're going to be successful regardless of temperature, regardless of weather. And 
you know, that's sort of the mindset that I've had uh, filming dialed in angling um, is this in-depth look into how I go about really just kind of breaking down fisheries. And, and I'm a multi-species angler. Like I love chasing all sorts of different species. So when I get a day off the water from guiding, doesn't matter if it's open water or on ice, I tend to go fishing somewhere. And I, I, I think, you know, people that know me know that, you know, if I get a day off, I'm not sitting around idle. If it's a day where I don't have to, uh, you know, fix equipment or fix something in my shop, I'm usually back on the water because I'm looking for more bites, not only for my customers, but I also want to enjoy it. I never, I always said when I started fishing full time that I never wanted to uh, hate the sport. <laughs> and that's uh, something that I've seen some other people do. Uh, uh, you know, anybody for their job, uh, if they if they do it long enough, um, you know, can start hating it. And I never wanted to hate fishing. And so uh, even if I've had a long stretch of guiding, you know, winter is probably the toughest. So if I have a long stretch of guiding, let's say two, two, two and a half, three weeks straight, of just guiding, I, I need some sort of release. So I'll, let's say I, you know, cause I focus a lot of our efforts, um, especially this time of year on walleyes and perch. So if I hit this stretch of two weeks of fishing solid with customers, I will take a day, my first day off and I will go pan fishing. Cause I absolutely love pan fishing, but I also love the change of pace where, um, I get to actually go pan fishing, whale on a bunch of fish, relax, and not have to drill a bunch of holes and move people and keep people on fish. And I just get to go fishing. And I do that on ice. I do that on open water. Um, on open water, it might be, hey, I'm focused on walleyes for a long stretch here. So when I get a day off, I grab my son or my daughter and we go bass fishing, right? I love catching bass. I love smallmouth, largemouth. But I just try to mix it up like that. So dialed in angling has really helped me um, kind of refocus and be able to fish when and where I want. Yeah. And I know you guys feature a lot of other anglers on dialed in angling episodes. Um, but seeing you host that show, I think it's really, really great, man. I just hope that it really goes good for you. And what an interesting year. I kind of, this will be our transition and talking to some of the fishing topics that we want to get into. But still on this topic, you know, this is kind of the first uh, season where you're di- uh, this dialed in angling is you're producing it. Um, you know, for ice fishing. And then what a weird year, man. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the, the fishing this year and how that's uh, some of the challenges, man. There's been some challenges finding good ice to film early on. And it's your first season at this, a uh, little bit of stress level, maybe you're trying to get the logistics figured out, man. To, so how, how, how has that been? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you couldn't have picked a more interesting year to start uh, a show, uh, based on ice fishing. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it's a concept, you know, we want to, uh, we wanted to fire up the dialed in angling and have it, uh, start producing content for ice fishermen and for ice anglers. Uh, but you know, eventually if the show takes off, we want to do some open water stuff as well, but our focus was this year. Okay. Let's, let's get dialed in on ice fishing. Well, then you have a year like this and, uh, you know, our first episode, matter of fact, we wanted to air kind of late November, early December. And 
we want to feature destinations all over the ice belt, right? So uh, Canada, all over the U.S. Well, late November, we just didn't have ice. It started getting stressful. I, you know, I talked to the producers, uh, said, hey, we, we got to figure out, um, you know, something or come up with something because I really don't think we're going to have ice anywhere. Not, you know, unless we're going to the Arctic Circle, uh, we don't have ice. And so our very first episode we shot was something that I do a lot in the fall anyway, and that's going out late fall and just looking for fish. Like, where are they at right now, late November? So when this thing caps off in a couple of weeks, I know where I'm going to start with my guiding season. And so what we did is we launched the boats. It, it ended up having to be a, just a beautiful day in November. And uh, we launched the boats. We went out with my graphs, with my forward-facing sonars. We started on a small lake, a good uh, crappie lake that I fish quite often. And we were just shining and looking for crappies, and boom, we found them. And so we filmed kind of, hey, how we mark these spots so that when this thing come, gets capped off, we're going to come back here. And then we drove down to Mille Lacs from there. Uh, we got out of Mille Lacs. Same thing on Mille Lacs. I spend a ton of time in the fall graphing i always have like into november if i can that way i'm prepared you know fish fish move a lot especially on a lake the size of malax and uh from year to year bait fish locations shift the walleye location shift and so i always like to have a good starting point when i hit the ice that season and so we showcase that how i go about scouting in the fall for ice and then boom so we had our first episode done you know, that's the kind of content that is, it's phenomenal content. This is a great episode, but I think it's kind of funny, like a big picture, you know, you're always going to be able to look back and say that you started this, this, this concept of dialed and angling and you, you started it off with, you know, ice content and the first episode ever is on open water. <laughs> I just think that's great. Right, right. Yeah. No, man, I think that's great, but you're right. What a, what an interesting year, um, to schedule, uh, ice, timely ice fishing content. And, you know, starting in November, the ice has been variable. Um, but that being said, you've been doing some fishing this year is definitely a little bit different. We're alluding to all that. Um, but I definitely want to get into some fishing topics. So tell me a little bit about this year, what year, what kind of fishing you've been doing and what you've been finding as far as, you know, whether it's patterns, um, or just some of those fishing elements that you have found to be more interesting, um, you know, this year specifically with the current conditions. Yeah. I mean, luckily after that first episode, I've been ice fishing everywhere. So I've ice fished, uh, like we talked off air with Brian Bogdan up at Wacusco Falls. That guy's fantastic. Anybody listening to this podcast should get a hold of Brian because he has some amazing fisheries up there. But walleye fishing up there with Brian um, and then going down to Red Lake, doing some walleye fishing and then some backcountry pan fishing. I've done a ton of crappie fishing intermittently from filming. I have been doing some ice guiding as well throughout December and now into January. Um, yeah, so I've I've chased almost every species except for trout species. You know, I haven't tra- chased lake trout or any sort of trout yet. But as far as walleyes, pike, uh, crappies, bluegills, perch, I've kind of gone after everything. And I would say the biggest thing that I've noticed this year versus any other year is... Yes, we've had questionable ice conditions, but if you're willing to, you know, 
check every inch of ice that you're on. We've actually had fairly decent ice since about the beginning of December and, um, you know, not drivable ice, but certainly walkable ice. And I've been able to find uh, all sorts of different lakes and, and kind of rediscover certain lakes that I wasn't able to fish in the past, especially the past two to three seasons because of all the snow. And so this year without the snow, I'm able to access these lakes. So yes, even though I've had to walk, uh, I still enjoyed going out and checking all these lakes that I haven't fished for a very long time. And that's all over Northern Minnesota. Uh, matter of fact, I was over in North Dakota exploring lakes over there as well and potholes and things that were, that were froze up. Um, I've had a really good year in that sense, even though we've had quote unquote bad ice or not ice everywhere we still had good enough fishable ice where I'm able to explore. Now, the flip side of that is because of no snow, these fish are so super spooky. I cannot tell you how spooky they are. And I'm not just talking shallow water panfish, everything from walleyes in 30 feet of water to crappies that are suspended in a basin to panfish that are in the weeds. Every fish is super spooky because of the lack of ice and the lack of snow. Yeah, I, I want to unpack all kinds of things there. Like, but talking about, you know, the spooky fish, um, how do you, what is your experience with that? I mean, is, uh, you know, are, are you seeing it when you drill holes? Are you seeing it when, when you walk, when machines are driving around? Uh, is, are you observing this on forward sonar? Like, tell me a little bit about how you're observing that. And then maybe some things that, you know, you're doing to uh, sort of play a little defense on that. Yeah, so a lot of these fish we're seeing on forward-facing sonar. I mean, that's helped out a lot. Um, but it's also, um, you know, even on 2D sonar, when I'm sitting over in a hole, all of a sudden, you know, uh, one of my other guides or, you know, my customer moves around in their sled, you know, 50, 60 feet away, and all of a sudden the fish that were right underneath my feet spook. Um I'm seeing it a ton. And I think prior to forward facing sonar, you might've got to some of these destinations, especially these basin crappie destinations. And you would have just thought it was completely void of fish. <laughs> you just would have never known that the fish were there because they were, they were moving so far ahead of us. But with forward facing sonar, I'm able to see that. Uh, prime example, I was in a lake. It was about a 30 foot basin. The crappies were anywhere from 18 to 24 feet down. And we could not get within 50 to 100 feet of those fish. And so uh, I was actually, we had walked into this location and we're, we're filming dialed in angling. And I told the guys, I said, you know, some really cool content that we can get out of this is the fact that as guides, I've experienced this before. And now with forward facing sonar, what we do is we do fish drives. And so we'll set up our customers ahead of the school and I'll drill holes. And then what we'll do is as guides, we'll come behind them with augers and we'll start pushing the fish in their direction. But when you're doing that, you can't just walk on top of the fish or drill on top of them. That spooks them to the point of sometimes they won't bite. You have to get behind those fish and it's sort of like a cattle drive. And if they start moving the wrong direction, you circle around back in front of them and you're pushing them towards the anglers. And we do it all the time now as guides. Uh, with panfish especially, bluegills, crappies, 
uh, perch at times and we do these fish drives well we ended up filming that and i think it came across really cool i got a lot of great feedback from people that are like i never would have thought of that um i you know sort of just uh made lemonade out of lemons because we thought we weren't even going to have a show and then you know we just couldn't get on top of these fish how massive these schools were we couldn't get on top of them in 20 feet of water well that that has carried into walleye fishing now um i was just out walleye fishing yesterday uh in the morning when the fish were aggressive and active they weren't as spooky they didn't care about us drilling as much on top of them but as soon as the bite sort of slowed down and I've seen it a lot now with forward facing sonar over the last two to three seasons, when the fish aren't as aggressive and aren't feeding as much, they're much more spooky. I see it in open water. I see it on ice. Um, you can't, you can't get the boat within, I would say 50 to 75 feet at times of walleyes when they're not that aggressive. Now, when they're feeding and aggressive and the wind's blowing and they're up on points, they don't care. Uh, most of the time, as long as the water's not like gin clear, they don't care. But as soon as they're not feeding, they get spooky. And the same can be said on ice. You start drilling holes ahead of them. You know, I've for years, uh, you know, dating back 20 years ago when we started really um, kind of honing in our skills on ice trolling. I called it ice trolling. People called it hole hopping in the past, but it's not just hole hopping. It's strategically drilling down structure. Um, just like you would in a boat. You know, I always thought in the boat, we move and drift and troll and we're always chasing after fish, but on ice, everybody just sets up and doesn't move, right? So 20 years ago, I was like, I'm not doing that. And we just started drilling lots of holes and drilling out entire, you know, structures, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a mile of brake line, we drill out uh, the entire thing. And part of it was, I wanted to keep people on fish, but part of it too, I wanted to see like, you know, where these fish were moving from, from the morning to the midday to the afternoon to the evening. And so that has really evolved. I'm still ice trolling, but we've changed some of the ways that we go about drilling and moving based on the spookiness of fish. And this year in particular is the spookiest fish that I have ever seen. And it's just because the ice is thin and there's no snow. And that, that sound carries, it's amazing when, when I was on Red Lake, right? Um, we were a half mile to a mile away from other anglers. We were all by ourselves. We spud barred our way out. We walked about a mile and a half. Uh, we're going to film an episode out there. Um, we could not get close to any fish until we got on some milky ice. Then boom, we just sat there. We didn't move around. We put out, uh, you know, some dead sticks and we were jigging. And as long as you weren't moving, you were catching them, right? As soon as anglers were that were a half to three quarters of a mile away, they were dragging sleds across the ice. It spooked all our fish that were right underneath us because that noise carries across the ice, right? It resonates. It's kind of like a wave, if you will, in the summer, you know, a boat goes by a half mile away from you and you can watch that wave go all the way to shore. It was really similar to that people drilling holes, dragging sleds, like hard plastic sleds made the most noise. And it was spooking fish that were right underneath our feet. So I can only imagine what it sounded like when we were dragging sleds over the top of them and drilling holes. And uh, yeah, I mean, even a little bit of snow now, we're getting a little bit of snow. 
Uh, I'm sure you guys are as well. And it's making a, the world a difference as far as dampening that noise. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much? The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov jobs. And the other interesting thing, you know, about this year, you, you mentioned it for those, you know, the, the hardcores that have been getting out, you know, ever since we've had some ice and, and all that, it's been, like you said, it's been a lot of walking, a lot of dragon sleds. Like, you know, when conditions are perfect, we got all the bells and whistles, you know, the side by sides, the four wheelers, the snowmobiles, like all the, all the bells and whistles to make all these moves, you know, less restriction. You can make any decision you want and run with it. You know, but that's different when you start walking out. You're way less mobile from, you know, a big picture standpoint. You can't just go across the lake. You can't go halfway across the lake in, in most scenarios. Like, tell me a little bit about how that changes for you. Like, this year, you're walking out. What do you see yourself doing, you know, from a strategy perspective, like, or maybe just organization, efficiency? Like, what do you find yourself doing to try to be more successful when you're less mobile because you're hiking? Uh, packing as light as you can. Uh, I think that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, you touched on it as far as gear. Uh, you know, my, a lot of my customer base and myself included, you know, we're used to the last few seasons where we go from early ice to thick ice pretty quickly, right? Usually about mid to late December, we're already driving side by side, sometimes driving trucks. By New Year's, we usually have wheelhouses out. Our customers are sitting in the lap of luxury, catching fish with underwater cameras, forward facing sonar. I mean, you name it, all the gear out there, all the bells and whistles. Now, fast forward to this year where you're having to really downsize and even the size of your sled matters because I'm walking a mile to two miles, just one direction to get on top of fish. So minimizing the drag on my sleds to the amount of gear that I'm carrying to my rod boxes, to the amount of tackle I'm bringing. I'm not bringing the full arsenal of tackle. I'm bringing the tackle that I can fit in my, in my jacket, in my float suit, right? Just small little tackle boxes that I can cram into gear. So I'm not dragging everything in a sled. And so I would say that was the that would be the biggest thing that I changed uh, right away because those first few trips that I made we had way too much gear. I mean, um, if it, you know, getting back to dialed and angling, if you look at that first episode that I shot on the ice with Brian Bogdan up at Wacusco, <laughs> you know our sleds are loaded and we're dragging these great big otter sleds. I knew right then and there after that. Okay, I've got to grab a smaller sports sled. I need. 
uh, you know, something that's more towable. I need a harness that I can put on my shoulder so I'm not dragging a sled with my hand. Um, downsizing the amount of batteries I'm bringing, everything, changing everything to lithium. Uh, I will say one thing about now versus let's say 10 years ago when I went out early ice, everything's lithium, right? It's super, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's super light. We're not dragging uh, cans of gas and gas augers uh, or, you know, and all that sort of thing. It's, it's lithium batteries. They're much lighter. And so I'm bringing, you know, one electronics, I'm bringing one auger, maybe one or two rods and uh, a backpack and then, you know, a harness and a sled. Uh, there was other days where I was out there and I literally just carried an auger and, and a rod. And then I had a backpack on and I was able to hike into some of these lakes, especially when I was just exploring. Um, yeah. And it, it's been kind of cool. You sort of adapt to that. And now that I've been doing it for, you know, over a month, uh, super efficient at it now. And it's amazing how, quickly you can get back into some of these fisheries like i said the 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 upside of this year not having a ton of snow and it being warm is it's great man i got a sweatshirt on and my you know my my bibs and i'm just gonna hike in real quick to a little lake that i haven't been able to fish for a few years and just check it out we actually found some lakes that we used to fish and because of the last few seasons how brutal it's been with snow they actually winter killed and so there was no fish there at all. Uh, we found other lakes that um, were kind of prospect lakes that we had a ton of um, year classes of crappies, but we hadn't been back there for a few years. And now those fish are really nice, harvestable, you know, 10, 11, 12 inch crappies with some 13 and 14 inch um, crappies that we had thrown back and some really nice gills. And so I've had a blast doing that um, this year. I've really gotten in shape from walking so much. It's great. I don't mind it at all. It becomes a little more difficult when you start guiding. Like we do a lot of bigger groups. And so as we get into mid mid January, February, uh, that's when the larger groups start to show up. And so we're not able to hike in, you know, 20 people into a, a, a small lake right. like that. We need to a lake like Malax or Winnebagosh or Leech or something. And so that's where the challenge comes in. Um, you know, when it comes to guiding it, when it comes to fishing, I think it's been great. Uh, you know, I think the news, you know, kind of the news or the, the Facebook feeds and the, the social media, the, the, the captions of, you know, bad eyes, people stranded, this and that, that sort of, um, you know, captures people's attention and then people start thinking, well, there's no ice anywhere. Right. Um, that case it's, I've actually found really, really good fishable ice, uh, on a lot of, in a lot of areas, um, places that, you know, even, even with the warmer temperatures, we still had six, seven, you know, not even, I'm not talking walking out on two, three inches. I'm not that type of person. I need four or five, six inches minimum because, um, and I always walk with a spud bar. Uh, so I'm not talking like real skinny ice. I'm talking really good quality ice for most of December here, uh, you know, in a lot of locations. But I think the headlines kind of take over because things have happened on Red Lake. Things have happened on Lake of the Woods. Things have happened elsewhere where people have gone through with ATVs when they should have just been walking with a spud bar. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
there's a lot to take away from that. And, and you know, you mentioned, you, uh, you know, embracing, you know, sort of being a minimalist when you're when you're looking at these fishing opportunities that are best walked to um, and, and all that. I mean, those are just such great recommendations, so, you know, touching on the whole lithium power source, you know, for electronics and, you know, hole drilling, especially, um, you know, you look at even a handful of years ago, still in the era of like social media, but prior to like lithium um, and some of these other efficiencies that we have, like, you know, under these conditions this year, you know, somebody that just wanted to get out that bad and, and, and go, you know, power auger some holes and, and do some fishing on, on thinner ice. Like, you know, some of that was just left for the, just the total hardcores and probably sacrificed some expectations as far as fishing, but like nowadays, you know, the more we're learning and the, and the more we can break down water and, and, you know, utilize a year like this to go look for new water. Like you said, figuring out like, Hey, a handful of years ago, some winter killed lakes might be cycling back. Like you're, you're having fishing thoughts that you probably wouldn't if there was 18 inches out on Mille Lacs and you had your hard sided shacks out there and you were guiding relentlessly every day. You know, you're, th- you're thinking about other fishing opportunities but also we have the efficiencies you can get, you know, dialed in, you know, uh, quite literally like to where you don't necessarily have to sacrifice your expectations. Some of these fishing opportunities are excellent. And if you can efficiently get out there and do a little bit of walking, like these are legitimate opportunities. And, and you know, whether and we're not even narrowing this down to species yet to this point, like, you know, there's panfish species, you know, uh, bites that are super walkable walleye fishing um you know on on that note what ha, what do you see or what this year would you be able to say have been some of the fishing opportunities that we could describe that you feel like are best for on foot i would say for sure the the bluegill and crappie bites that i was on um you know, uh, some of these fish that are remaining really shallow because of the, the late or, or lack of ice and, uh, and also really the lack of snow cover, this, this vegetation that's out there, that's really green and alive, uh, you know, full of oxygen, full of bait fish, full of bugs. It's keeping these panfish in the shallows for longer. Whereas normally you get into this time of year, especially into January, February when you've got a lot of snow cover and all the vegetation's dead and that water starts to get stained and the oxygen levels change and fish start to shift out to deeper water. These fish are shallow, man. They've been here all season long and they're not moving because they're ha- fat and happy and at where, where they are at. And, uh, you know, you're like the last couple of years, there was hardly any vegetation, you know, um, that that stuff had died off and it was gone because of the amount of snowfall and the, the amount of ice that we had at this time of year. So those bites are still going on and it's super fun. I, I love bites that are shallow, whether you're using an underwater camera or you can do some sight fishing. If any, anybody listening out there, if you've never fished out of like a spear hole or a sight fishing hole, it's probably one of my favorite things to do uh, and has been since I was a kid. I remember I was probably 10, 11 years old. And I remember for the um, angling out of a spear house for the very first time and how mind blowing it was. Uh, And then of course, getting my first underwater camera and how much I've learned as an angler because of underwater cameras. I spent 
I can't even total up the hours. It would have to be years looking at an underwater camera and how much knowledge that I've gained because of an underwater camera. Well, this type of year, you can do that. It's, you know, these shallow water bites are going on right now. They still are. And it's because we don't have a ton of snow. We don't have a ton of ice. Those fish are extremely shallow. You know, there's bites that were going on in these back bays that, you know, are only three, four, five, six feet deep. But the fish are there for a reason. You know, the, the panfish and, and perch and uh, are there because the bugs are there. Uh, the habitat's there. And, of course, the bigger species, the pike, the walleyes, they're coming in there as well because that's they're feeding on the bluegills and the perch. And so... Uh, you know, anybody who, you know, has an opportunity to fish shallow, try sight fishing, whether you're using a camera or either in a sight fishing hole or fishing out of a spear shack, go extremely shallow. You can't ice troll. You're going to spook them all out of there. Go in there, drill some holes early in the morning, get set up with a pop-up or something, a flip over, and just sit down and watch what unfolds underneath your feet. It's way more fun than you could ever have with any electronics, bar none. And it's one of those things in ice fishing that's super unique, right? You don't get to do that in the boat very often. What are some other things we could talk about? Maybe like a three to five minute closer here. We're doing so good on time, but, you know, a few minutes uh, left. Is there anything that pops into your head that we ought to be touching on? Well, you know, just kind of based on the fishing and the conditions that we're having this year. Well, I mean, obviously safety first. I, I, as it gets cold here, I think people get a false sense like, okay, everything's cool. You know, it's 20, but it was 20 below last night or it was 10 below. And, uh, you know, ice doesn't always heal up overnight. It takes a little bit of time and it's nice to have a normal year for making ice because it starts in November and those water temps cool down and things get to normal and then it can build ice. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of things out there that, affect ice conditions. Um, not just, Hey, it, it's cold. Finally, uh, one or two days. Okay. Now we can start driving trucks on the ice. You know, you kind of get, uh, lulled in that false sense of security. So, you know, just making sure anglers are safe. Um, not just jumping right into the truck and saying, okay, it's been cold for a week. Uh, let's take the truck out here. It's, you still need to check that ice. I, me as a guide, I mean, that's first and foremost, we're always checking ice everywhere we go. And we're making sure that our customers land on safe ice every step they take. And so it's not just using the spud bar. Okay, drilling a hole. Yep, we got a foot and we're just going to take off from here. No, it's uh, checking every inch ice to that destination we're going and then repeating that when we get to a new body of water. And, uh, you know, so so that's one thing as as we get into to mid-season here. But also, um, you know, depending on how much more snow we get, if we don't get a lot of snow, Noise factors are going to be huge, and it's going to continue here even when we get a foot of ice or 14 inches or whatever. That sound really carries through when we have no snow. And so trying to be as quiet as possible, uh, even if you're dragging a wheelhouse out or driving, you know, get out there early, get set up where you want to be, and then stop making noise. Uh, you know, even last year when, when we did have snow, it was amazing how running generators in the back of a pickup truck uh, over the top of these fish, they didn't like it. They weren't coming in. They weren't biting. Our customers that were out in portables were catching them, but the wheelhouses weren't. As soon as we shut down those generators and we just fished in those hard houses with no noise, the fish came right back in. 
And so the shallower you get, obviously that's, that's going to be more pronounced, but the more and more that I fish with for with forward facing sonars, the more that we've learned to curb some of the noise. So even ice trolling, we're limiting some of our holes. We used to just light up a whole area. Now, especially as you get into January, February, and those fish aren't actively feeding, we're limiting our hole drilling, right? Uh, we're also kind of reopening holes because then you don't have to bore all the way through the ice as much. And so those are all like solid tips for catching more fish, like being conscious of how loud you are over the top of these things. Uh, you know, and then of course, uh, a lot of anglers that are listening, they probably haven't been on the ice this year. So getting geared up, it's, it's easy for me to talk about being prepared and getting out there. Cause I've been ice fishing for a month and a half already, but anglers, I think the best advice I could give anyone. And I know it sounds really dumb, because it's something that we all know, but putting fresh line on, right? Almost every single customer that says, Hey, come down fishing with you. A lot of my ice anglers like to bring their own stuff because they like using their rods, their own electronics they are comfortable with it. They're confident in it. But almost every one of them that come out for the first time that year, if it's their first time, they always have line issues because they hadn't changed their line from the year before. The cheapest thing you can do uh, you know, I fishing in general is checking to make sure you have decent line. And it seems like ice fishing rods and ice fishing combos in, in particular, monofilament gets really, really, uh, it, it deteriorates quickly because it's wet, it's cold, it's frozen, it's temperature changes. And so you don't want to go on a fishing trip for your first time and have line issues. So the best advice I can give is have everyone out there, if you haven't been out this season, strip all that line off, put some new fresh monofilament on, put some new braid on, whatever you're doing before you're heading out fishing. And then, of course, checking your batteries. I, I get to fish with literally hundreds, if not thousands, of anglers every year. And so I see some of the troubles that people go through. I struggle with some of these things. And since I've been fishing for a month here, I can tell you firsthand Make sure you have good batteries. Change your line. If you do that, you're going to have a successful fishing trip. Man, that's it, man. Thank you so much for the time and the updates, Tony, man. I appreciate it. You know, timing-wise, we've nailed it. If we really wanted to jump into another topic, we just have to start, you know, doing part two of a series here. So um, let's uh, let's let's button it up. Let everybody know where they can find you, your content, and uh, maybe when the show airs the schedule there and, and anything along those lines that we can close it out. Right on, man. No, I appreciate you having me. Uh, yeah. If you want to find anything about, about me, you can go to Tony Roach, Roach's guide service, Tony Roach fishing. Uh, you can also check out dialed in angling.com. Uh, we are on Bally sports Saturday morning, seven 30. Also on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You know, if anybody has any fishing questions, they can always reach out to me. I'm always good about it, uh, whether it's on Facebook. Uh, uh, you can email me, all that good stuff. Uh, I, I'm always willing to f- share as much information as I can with other anglers. Um, I've had lots of people in my life that have shared information with me. I think anglers are really good at passing along information. And so, yeah, reach out to me anytime. So thanks for having me. That's it, Tony. <laughs>